Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. We are all about the stories that make the Asian tech ecosystem so fascinating, so exciting, so dynamic. All these people from all over the world coming to Asia to make that ecosystem one of the most interesting in the world. So to hear today to share a story with us, we have a young gentleman from Czech Republic named Jan Schmeikal, if I've got the pronunciation right, and he's just kind of briefed me on that. So let's start there. Jan, first of all, welcome to the show. Well, Grant, thank you very much. And you got it 100% right, I would say. So, <laughs> so it was really, really well, uh, well pronounced. And thank you very much well, for that. And thank you very much for having me on the show. It wasn't that difficult. Well, it's great to have you here. So just a bit of background on Yan first. Yan is chief curator of China Biz Tech Weekly. He also runs Startup Grind in China, based in Shenzhen. He's also got a number of other ventures, which we'll talk about as well. Describes himself as your guy in China. You're in a great position at the moment. You are our man in China who can give us an understanding of this market. I want to know, Jan, before we start, why, why did you end up in China? What was the story? Was it part of your master plan? So you started in Czech Republic in China? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, definitely not a master plan. Honestly, I, uh, when I was at the university uh, in Czech Republic, I was studying economics and finance uh, and basically finishing my bachelor. Uh, I I, I had always dreamed about having a business, you know, being an entrepreneur. And so when I was uh, when I was in my third year of bachelor, I teamed up with my classmate and we were like, yo, let's start some business, you know. And uh, I remember I was reading or I read article on Forbes about Xiaomi, about the CEO and founder Lei Jun. Uh, I guess you have heard about this company, yeah. but back in the days, you know, it was really, really hyped up because everybody was talking or everybody was saying that it's going to be the next Steve Jobs and or it's Steve Jobs of China because he he created this company selling phones for half the price of everybody else. And the quality is amazing and and uh, and and stuff like that. And so, you know, I basically saw it as an opportunity to jump into it and uh, and to get those phones from China and sell them in Czech Republic and Slovakia. And so that was the idea. And uh, we basically did that. So so we we were two guys and we had no money. And uh, what we did, we just went to Alibaba. I ordered one phone, have, had it shipped to Czech Republic to test it out to see if it's really that good, as everybody said. Uh, and, uh, you know, after one month testing it out, I was like, yes, this is amazing. And so we just started a business. We went to Alibaba. We started ordering phones, one, two, three phones uh, every month and selling them on eBay of Czech Republic, let's say. And then we started a proper business afterwards once the business got bigger. You know, so we set up a company and we we started really doing it in a proper way and building the business. And so so basically me moving to China was a very practical decision at that point because we had a business that was linked to China, which, uh, uh, you know, as I said, it was about dealing with these phones and accessories and it was growing. And so I was like, okay, it's time to go to China to explore, to meet our suppliers face to face and see if we can do something bigger, even bigger than, than uh, we were doing at that point. So, so very practical decision, actually. Right. So, you don't run that business anymore, or you do? What was your interest? What no, I don't. That? I don't. So, so I ran that business for two and a half years, and then I ended up selling 
50% of the company to my uh, co-founder, to my original co-founder, because, you know, I was living in China and I saw what's going on here and I wanted to do a little bit different stuff. I wanted to go bigger, but my co-founder wasn't aligned uh, in the in that mission or vision. And so we decided that we're going to split. I sold him the business. The business is still up and running, but I'm not part of that anymore. And as you mentioned at the beginning, I am uh, I'm doing some other stuff. So I'm running Startup Brand and I'm involved in in different projects, kind of side hustles that I'm doing right now. And uh, that's it. That's that's where I'm at right, right now. We'll talk about those in a minute. Did you speak any Mandarin before you got to China? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> right. So, so where did that happen? Because it's yeah, not, it's not like know. everybody speaks English. I mean, there's a big expat community, but you need Mandarin to get by, right? Yeah, you need it. And, uh, you know, so I speak a little bit of Mandarin now. Of course, I cannot say that I'm fluent in Mandarin after two and a half years, uh, even though uh, even though it would be great. But I'm still working on it. But yes, you're right. So as I said, you know, I didn't know anything about China uh, before we started doing that business at the first place. So so I didn't have any, as you mentioned, master plan or long term plan that I'm going to go to China. I'm going to study Mandarin uh, at high school and stuff like that, as many people that I meet here in China uh, did this kind of uh, did have this kind of master plan, but I didn't, and and so I didn't speak any Mandarin when I moved. And uh, you know, honestly, when I first came to China, the very first intention that I had in my mind was that I am going to leave after six months. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be here for six months. I'm going to explore the market because uh, just to just to give you the whole story. So I came here. Uh, as part of an exchange program, because I told you I was still at the university when we started the business. And so the easiest way how to get to China was that I found the university and I went for the exchange program at the university. I got the visa, but the exchange program was only for six months initially. And so that was my intention from the very beginning. I'm going to go here. I'm going to explore. I'm going to meet some people. I'm going to learn something about China, maybe grow the business, uh, finish six, uh, six months of the exchange program, and I'm going to go back to Czech Republic and run the business from Czech Republic. That was the initial idea, but it never end up, ended up being like that. <laughs> it never <laughs> because, does, right? Yeah, because I was just too excited, you know, when I first came and when I saw what's going on here, the energy, the speed, the dynamics. And yeah, as you mentioned, Asia in general is one of the most exciting ecosystems when it comes to tech right now, because it's growing so, so much. It has still, of course, it has still a long way to go to catch up. It's still catching up, but uh, it's just so exciting because everybody is so eager to learn and to build businesses and to succeed and and so, so that's why I ended up staying. Right. So I'm curious. I'm sure listeners want to know is that you had graduated. You had exited this business. You'd come to an arrangement with your existing co-founder. You're now yeah. in China. How, how did you manage to stay? What kind of visa did you manage to work out to, you know, because I imagine that's, that's the big question that a lot of people think about. Okay, I want to go to China, but, you know, maybe I want to leave a business or leave a company to go to China. So how yeah. did you work out? Yeah, so uh, my case is a little bit special. So uh, as I said, I went here uh, to study at the university or to study at the or to, to, to be part of the exchange program. And so I got uh, I got a student visa. I got a residence permit at the first place, you know, and uh, then 
after those six months, actually the university uh, university uh, came to me and said, like, you know, yeah, you know, your 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 uh, your results are great, and you know, I think you can contribute contribute even more. And so basically, they offered me the opportunity to stay longer to finish the studies at this university in China, the master degree, uh, and and they gave me scholarship for that, which means that they even prolonged my visa. And so uh, you mentioned that I have graduated. I haven't actually. <laughs> so uh, I haven't graduated yet because I started the master program in China and I am now uh, in, the, in the process of finishing my thesis, which is the only thing left for me. And so I am, I am still on the, on the residence permit, basically being a student, which, as I said, it's a little bit special case for me because uh, at the end of the day, I am not employed in China, so I can do that, right? Mm. Because if you want to be employed, if you want to have a job in China for a Chinese company and stuff like that, then you would probably have to have a working visa or something like that. But I am not employed in China. I'm basically like working as a freelancer. Uh, that's kind of like, you know, uh, how we how we figured it out with, uh, with the company that I'm working for right now, because that's the only way kind of to do it right now since I'm still at the university. Uh, so, so that's why my, my case is a little bit special, but, but yes, honestly, when it comes to visa in China, it's not as difficult as, as it, as it used to be, you know, you just need to, uh, either, yes, find somebody who has a company here who can uh, help you with getting a visa or inviting you, uh, to work for them or to whatever, do whatever, whatever you want to do. Or if you move here, you know, you can get some short-term visa anyways if you want to run business. And then you probably want to set up a company which is called Rufi, foreign, uh, wholly foreign-owned enterprise. And then you can get a visa. Uh, you can get a visa just through that company. So, so it's not as, as difficult as it used to be. But, of course, you need to kind of take it into account that it takes some time. Right. Got it. Interesting. And thanks for sharing some of the options there. So, yeah, let me understand. You were studying in... Czech Republic, you moved to China, you didn't finish your studies in the Czech Republic, and then you got onto this master's course in China that was in Beijing, correct? It's in Shenzhen, actually. Oh, it's it's Shenzhen, a Peking sorry. University. It's Peking University, but it's Peking University, HSBC Business School, which is based out of Shenzhen or in Shenzhen. So I'm in Shenzhen, and I've been in Shenzhen for the whole time, basically. Okay, got it. How old are you now, Dian? I am 26. You're 26. So in the sort of your, your network of people in China, are the sort of people of the same kind of age? I mean, still, it's quite young. I mean, I moved, just thinking myself, I moved from Europe to Asia when I was 24, 25. Okay. So I moved to Tokyo. But that was the, you know, okay. back, back in the 90s, I'm a little bit older, but back in the 90s, that was the thing. Like, when people graduated, China wasn't a thing back then. You know, people went straight to Japan because Japan was still the economy, the place in technology, Sony, okay. all these kind of people, right? So I moved when I was 24. But outside of, you know, people teaching English and studying, there weren't any entrepreneurs in Asia at the time <laughs> who'd come from outside. So I'm just curious about your network. I mean, do you see young people, similar kind of age, moving to China? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's happening. absolutely. Who, actually, who aren't studying, actually, who aren't, you know, doing the teach English thing. What's it like right now? Yeah, you know, actually, yes, I definitely see a lot of people that are the same age or even younger, you know. And, you know, I think it's given 
given by the fact that, especially when we talk about the U.S., you know, it's uh, you basically finish the university when you are like 21, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't go for a master's degree uh, in in the U.S. because they don't really think it's a thing, right? So, so for for me, it's a little bit different because in Czech Republic, it's basically yes, you go for for bachelor, which you're gonna which you're gonna finish around 21, 22, uh, or 23, and then you go for another two years uh, uh, for a master's, right? And, uh, and so that's how it is. But now I see a lot of people from the U.S. and the people that I spent a lot of time with that are building businesses or are joining startups in China or are doing something in China. Like they're actually those guys, as you mentioned. So they had this master plan. They studied Chinese at high school. They studied Chinese at the university or at college in college. And now they move to China. They already have pretty, pretty good understanding of the market because they speak some Chinese. And, and now they're just coming here excited and and being part of the ecosystem. So, so yes, there is a lot of people uh, the same age as I am, even younger. And of course, you go, you can, you can see some, some, vet, uh, some, some people that have been here for a long, long time. So, so I have a lot of friends that have been in China for ten, you know, fifteen years, and they basically know everything about China. They speak fluent Chinese, and and they are now kind of cashing, cashing in because you know they, they, they are in a very good position right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's exciting and. I mean, Josh was on the show, Josh Steinle was on the show the yeah. other day and talking about his move to Shenzhen, which which is where you're based, which is, you know, yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people know about Shenzhen, especially outside of Asia. People won't have heard of it. I mean, people will know Hong Kong, maybe they know like Canton, yeah. Guangdong and so on. But, yeah. you know, so what, what I want to know is, Firstly, when you moved to China, so you were 23, 24, right? You know, you moved I was to, I was 23, yeah, I you, was 23. So you moved from China from the Czech Republic to China. Yeah. So I'm curious to know about how your expectations were the same and different to, you know, you had this image of what China was like because you'd been dealing with China, you'd been importing Xiaomi phones yeah. for some time. So you had some kind of experience, but you never really lived there or experienced it in business. So what was that like in terms of your expectations and also once you tell us yeah. a little bit about that, tell us a little bit about what Shenzhen's like for somebody who's new. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my expectations were completely wrong. You know, that's that's one thing that I'm going to tell you right now because, as I said, again, I'm going to repeat myself that I didn't know anything about China before I started even thinking about going to China. And then you hear all of these things about China, how polluted it is, and, you know, the communism and this and that, uh, whatever, you know, like this kind of mainstream media things that you hear all all over the place and from your friends and from people around you about China, right? Like nobody mm-hmm. really, especially back like three years ago, nobody from in my, in my circles, again, in my circles in Czech Republic, nobody really talked about China uh, when it comes to tech, when it comes to businesses and, and, and Tencent, you know, like I didn't know Tencent, I guess, three years ago, you know, mm-hmm. or four years ago. And, and like when you look at it now, when I'm here or what's going on right now, it's just one of the most exciting places, you know, when it comes to tech and, and venture capital, entrepreneurship and, and uh, social media and like companies are copying these kind of companies and these business models and platforms like WeChat and whatever, because it's just very, very exciting, you know. And, and so, so, yeah, my expectations were completely wrong because i thought yeah i'm just gonna go to china it's gonna be very difficult and this and yes it is difficult but shenzhen kind of blew my mind you know because it's one of the most livable cities in china because uh you know you yeah there is some pollution from time to time especially during the winter times but now when i look at 
when I look at the sky, you know, it's it's blue and and there is nothing, you know, and it's 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 nice weather. It's like 30 degrees, 28 degrees. So it's one of the most livable cities in China, and at the same time, it's one of the most uh, or one of the fastest growing cities in China and the world, you know. And I and I think Josh mentioned on the podcast that he did with him that you know they finished so many skyscrapers in Shenzhen, mm. uh, Shenzhen alone just last year and this and that. And it's, yes, it's true, but also the transformation, you know, like so many people move here from all around China to to search for opportunities to, you know, work for Tencent. And because Tencent is based here in Shenzhen, they have like three headquarters or three buildings, different buildings here. And so, so yeah, there is a lot of opportunities and, and it's just mind, mind boggling, you know, because yes, it's Shenzhen, but you also mentioned Guangdong area, right? So you have this great Bay. So people now talk about Zhuhai, Macau, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Hong Kong, how it's all going to be connected. And it's going to be basically something like Silicon Valley, New York City, and all of these kind of ecosystems, but all at the same place, you know? Mm. And so, so people talk about it like this. We'll see what's going to happen. Of course, it's going to take some time. They're now building up the infrastructure. But every single time uh, or once in a while, you hear about these major projects that government is trying to build this mega city or this mega area that is just going to be just going to be amazing you know so and and yes you can see that it's happening you know that that they're building these buildings and investing so much money so so there is something happening for sure so if i was a an entrepreneur a young entrepreneur in europe let's say i was in czech republic could be anywhere you know yeah. and i was looking at china and looking at life there without having much knowledge of it, I'm sure and maybe some of your friends back home think this is that they think that, you know, Europe is the, you know, it, it's uh, the home of liberal democracy. It's the home of, you know, like enterprise mm-hmm. and so on, you know, not as much so as the United States, but still people assume, you know, especially a place like Czech Republic, it, it's, you know, re- yeah. history is relatively new when it comes to, you know, like Western democracy, if I can use that term. So, you know, people think that that's, you know, what life is going to be like, what life should be like. But you go to this place like China and, you know, I think people are blown away, as you said. Right? I mean, yeah. They just don't expect what they expect, right? What they see when they get there is completely different. And I'm just curious in terms of business as well, what it's like. So, you know, you are there, you have some experience of business back in Europe, but then you get to China. People assume, you mentioned it already, that China's going to be bureaucratic, Right. But, you know, yeah. how, what's it like in Shenzhen? Is it is it a place where, you, OK, there's a lot of bureaucracy you have to negotiate the bureaucracy or do you find it very pro business? Do you find it the fact that, you know, people there really want to get things done and there's a real different attitude to say back in Europe? You know, it's uh, of course, it depends how you look at it, you know, because, yes, there is definitely a lot of bureaucracy uh, and you can find. Uh, you can, you know, it, again, it depends what you want to do. Right. But but when we talk about setting up a company or getting a visa and stuff like that, like in many in many aspects, China is uh, is very, uh, very open, let's say, or, uh, you know, because I don't know, because I never I never had the uh, I never had to like get a visa for any country in Europe, whatever. But I don't know what's the process when somebody out, uh, outside of Europe needs to get a visa or something. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's the process. But for example, in Shenzhen or in in Shanghai and these big cities, you know, now you can come and you can get a visa on arrival 
for five days, you know, and, uh, you know, you can explore, you can see, and it wasn't possible like two years ago, but now it's, now it's fairly possible. Also, when I, when I, when we talk about setting up the company in China, so, so I remember when we were setting up a company in Czech Republic, it took us also like one month or so, you know, to, to get everything, to get everything set up. And now in China, it's, it's the same. It's, 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 uh, you know, uh, it takes a couple of weeks to set up this Woofy company. Yes, we could we could get into discussion if if that's the right company to set up if you want to do the business in China or depending on what kind of business you want to do in China. There is more to it, you know. It's uh, on one side, yes, it's getting easier, but on the other side, it's also getting more difficult because it's not just about setting up a company, come to China, and you think that you can do business. It's much more than that, you know. You need to have local partner. You need to understand the market, culture, whatever. Like we can talk about that because I think it's a pretty fascinating topic because many people think that that. Uh, you know, yeah, they're going to come to China, conquer the world, get, get millions of, of dollars, whatever, because it's a big market. But but it's it's not like that. And it never was like that, I guess. But but yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that it's definitely it's definitely like my, one of the most open markets in the world. Definitely, because you look at the VP thing, you get, you know, it's very hard to get on. On, on Facebook, Google, and basically it's impossible for many people in China to get on these things. So, so yeah, there is definitely a lot of barriers that you need to overcome if you want to come to China, and you need to keep it in mind. You need to be very patient. You know, you really, you know, there are just things that don't work and will never probably work that well compared to Europe and US. But uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, I think it's definitely getting better uh, every single month, and it's also given by the fact that China. Uh, committed itself to invest 300 billion U.S. dollars into entrepreneurship to support entrepreneurship in China and to support its innovative culture and entrepreneurship culture, entrepreneurial culture. culture. And so, so uh, you know, of course, they're supporting local entrepreneurs, but at the same time, they're trying to figure out how they can attract talent from overseas because that's, that's when the innovation truly happens when you have uh, diversity and talent from all around the world and and people the smartest people are attracted to to certain certain place so so it's definitely changing we'll see what's going to happen uh it's also very unpredictable though you know so that's something that you need to keep in mind okay very interesting well i want to talk about your work in um, well your your projects that you're involved in in china so yeah. you've got china biz tech weekly and also startup grind you're also studying as well, so not to forget that you know that's a, a full-time commitment. So, China Biz Tech Weekly, uh, what is that about? Yeah, so actually, uh, at this point, I kind of stopped that project, and I'm trying to figure out what's going to be the next step. But basically, I started this thing, uh, I think, like six months ago. And what 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 was the idea behind it was just to share interesting information about China with the rest of the world, and and the information that is written in English, because yes, there is a there is a uh, there is a lot of information in China about China in Chinese, but but the the relevant information about doing business in China and and entrepreneurship and startups uh, it wasn't curated in any way, or I didn't find I didn't find any resource that I could I could go to every week and just get a summary of what happened in China that week, and so so that was the idea. Basically, what I did I just did my research. 
I uh, I connected with people that were uh, that were very knowledgeable about China, that spent a lot of time in China, or that were Chinese and they were writing for Wall Street Journal or New York Times and these kind of publications. And I basically started following these people and and started following what they recommend to read or what they recommend to or what they write themselves. And I started curating this or. Uh, the same with podcasts. So there are a couple of podcasts about Asia and China, uh, but not that many. And so I was basically creating the best episodes about what's going on in China and what people should uh, should know about China when they want to come and stuff like that. And I was basically sharing this in a form of newsletter, in a form of newsletter with people around the world. And it wasn't anything big. It was just my hobby because I wanted to study myself. I wanted to know this information uh, myself in the first place. And so when I was reading it, I just said, okay, so I can just compile it, the best ones that I like the most, and I'm going to share it with people that are also interested. So, so that was just a very simple idea, just sharing information, interesting information about China in terms of tech. Okay. So with that, you obviously collected a lot of stories over time. I'm, I would like to know... Out of all those stories, which was the one that got the most response from people about what was going on in China? You know, maybe not necessarily the most positive response, but just what got the most reaction? <laughs> maybe it's the one that's that a, challenged them the, the most. Uh, that's a good question. Honestly, I actually know that the, the platform that I used to collect all these uh, articles, uh, I had some data analytics there and I could I could look it up because, you know, they tell you, which of the articles that I shared actually got the most opens and, and stuff like that. I honestly, I don't know. I cannot tell you right now. I don't remember which article was the best or most read. But uh, one of the articles that definitely was one of the most shared was, I don't know if you remember or if you read that article. I think it's a couple months ago. And there was this company from Israel. They invented this uh, phone case mm. that uh, could turn into selfie stick. And then basically they, they went to Kickstarter. They raised money. And uh, or they they were trying to raise money. I don't know if they raised. Uh, I don't actually. I don't remember. But uh, in like two days, when in a, in a, in two days since they they launched uh, on Kickstarter, there was a Chinese company on Alibaba selling the, exactly the same thing. <laughs> you know, like selling it, actually selling it, not just raising money, but actually selling the same thing. And so there was a big article about this, how China is copying innovation from all around the world, how they are fast and how they can actually make it happen because they have this they have this supply chain and they have this access. They they own the factory and they can just see this idea. And yes, it's not the same. It's definitely not going to be as good because they don't know the engineering behind it, but they can replicate it in a way that it's usable and they can sell it tomorrow for one third of the price. So it was very kind of controversial, controversial and also interesting article about what's going on in China. Yeah, that's always a point that gets raised, isn't it? Protection of IP yeah. when you come to China. I was doing an interview with Frank Lavin from Export Now yesterday. Okay. He's, he's saying that there, there's a, a factory, a Prada factory somewhere in China, which can produce 4,000 Prada bags a year. And they are, to an expert, they're almost indistinguishable from a genuine Prada bag. So it's just fascinating. But I mean, as he was saying, you know, the whole IP thing, yes, it's there and it's an issue. But, you know, if you go about it the right way, if you have a process and go out rather than be defensive when you go to China, but be aggressive and go out. And one of the problem is, is, is that, you know, people buy this stuff. And they buy it from yeah. the the fake factories because they can't buy it anywhere else. So if you're really aggressive in the distribution and make sure that you get into those retailers and get into these, you know, different 
online commerce retailers and so on, then you can protect yourself from IP theft because yeah. most people would pay a little bit extra or pay the right price for something if they knew it was genuine. The fact yeah, that you know, these guys are, you know, are able to, to, you know, as you said, with this example of the selfie stick, they're able to produce it fast is because they didn't have the distribution already. Right. So yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I honestly, again, like I, uh, I know there are different opinions on this, uh, me, because I've done business myself and I was actually doing business, uh, uh, in a way that I was selling Chinese brand in Czech Republic. Honestly, I have seen what happens, right? So, so, you know, yes, it's, it's about having, uh, well, no, no, let me put it this way, right? So, so at the, uh, when, when you start, when you look at it like this, then we as entrepreneurs that want to manufacture something, that want to build some business around something, we actually go to China to get access to the cheap labor or to that supply chain and all of these things, you know? So, so it's our decision and we kind of have to keep in mind that like, that's just normal thing that these factories that you work with, of course, they will learn along the way as they learned with Apple and all of these guys. And yes, some of the people that work in these companies, they are entrepreneurial, they will leave and they will set up their own businesses and they will use the, the knowledge that they have, they have, uh, they have gained, uh, you know, uh, uh, during that period. And yes, then they are going to become your competitors eventually. Right. So, so this is a normal process. That's not only in China, in China, it's manufacturing. And, and I think people talk about this a lot because China is a lot of, ex there is a lot of extremes, right? Like it, I, I hate those copycats that just uh, change one letter in a brand name mm. and then they sell it for like one tenth of the price, right? Like this is kind of like the crazy, uh, crazy example that everybody kind of remembers this, these copycats and, and I don't know the, the name now, but that's, that's what happens, right? But then also you have, you have companies that really try to do a great job and they learn from these companies, from these products, they re reverse engineer. And, and honestly, I think it's not only happening in China. I think it happens around the world. Like, car manufacturers they learn mm. all all of them learn from each other you know and like then it's about like who can actually package it in a way that overall the product is better and it's kind of innovative or something you know so so it's how you look at it you know so uh yeah there is definitely something that should be protected you know there there is something uh there is something about these things that shouldn't happen and, you know, maybe government can do something about it or once the economy develops and once the country and everything is going to develop, maybe it's going to change. But also then it's about you trying to be better, you know, because you develop the product, you know, the engineering behind it. And even though some company is going to copy you, it doesn't mean that they will be able to sell uh, as good as you or they will be able to create community. They will be able to have the same customer service and and they will be able to do the same kind of marketing because the this, they, they kind of compete, these copycats, they compete on price, right? They compete on price and speed. They cannot really compete that much when it comes to marketing because they don't understand the customers in Europe. They don't understand how to do social media because they don't probably have access. They don't understand Facebook and, and Twitters and LinkedIn's and Instagrams, you know. So, so there is always something that you can do to be always one step ahead, you mm. know. So... So, you know, you can kind of protect yourself by being more innovative and by being being better at customer service, building a community around your product and, you know, maybe uh, maybe even even doing next generations of the product. And you will always be 
better off because you know what's actually in the product. You know, those other guys, they are just reverse engineering and, and they, may be, uh, they may be just guess what's, how it's done and how it's made, you know. I think moving away from the copycats a little bit and just talking about how advanced the, the manufacturing is in China. And I think people are constantly surprised by this. And a good example being, I mean, I'm a cyclist. So I think when people okay. realize um, if you take a, a famous European brand like a Pinarello, people think that still have this image that that is produced by some, you know, like artisan in Italy, <laughs> you know, in, in his workshop, that these are handmade. But, you know, this is all made. Like, you, know, you think about the cycling frames, the carbon frames, they're all made in a small number, a handful of factories in China. You know, every See? single brand yeah. is made there. And people are amazed to think, oh, wow, I thought China was just a whole bunch of copycats. But in terms of that, you know, they have the technology to make the molds, to make the castings, you know, to do very, very technical and highly skilled manufacturing. They are there. And now yeah. all these cycling manufacturers, apart from the ones in Taiwan, they do it all in China now. Everything is made in China yeah. because it's just so much better for them. It makes so. I think people are constantly surprised by that. We've moved away now from that stage where China is just copycatting. And like the Japanese, if you go back to the 70s, that was Japan in the 70s where they just copycatted everything. But now, See? you know, by the 80s, they're overtaking and technologically they're more developed. We're sort of seeing, I mean, your experience with Xiaomi is a good one. You know, Xiaomi, I think, now people well they, they're kind of starting to rank alongside other brands you know they you yeah. know, they're trying to establish themselves as a lifestyle brand but they they're no longer the cheapest brand right they are now trying to establish themselves as a bit above you know the other cheaper commodity brands in the market so we're starting to see this shift and this is like the next 10 years and china establishes itself as you know technologically more advanced in manufacturing yeah. than other countries in the world no, absolutely, you know, and and uh, you know the 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 copycat kind of thing it happens everywhere in the world, you know. Like I I remember in Czech Republic where before we started our business, like uh, for example these um, you know Groupons of the world, right? Like we had a we had a local Groupon kind of thing, and uh, I remember that at one point uh, at one point there was like 250 portals that were doing the same thing in Czech Republic, which is 10 million 10 million people country. In Czech. You know? and, yes. Wow. And and so so it was crazy. Of course they died, right? Like many of them died. Some of them were were merged, whatever. And now I don't know if you have 10, 15, 20, 30 of them. I don't know. But but it happens everywhere, right? Like people see that it's working, that it makes money, so they go and they go into it. And and I think we have that perception, right? Like about software, like uh that perception that you cannot really protect it, so so you know nobody really uh, cares about it that much. And then when it comes to hardware, then people think about the IP. And and I guess it's true, right? Like I guess it's true that that uh, that uh, people are used to in Europe and, and the US that they have these patents, and and if somebody infringes the patent, then they can sue him and whatever. And of course in China it works a little bit differently. So so yeah, it's a different world. But but I guess it's so known right now that you should kind of uh, keep that in mind. And, and if you want to get into that business at the first place, then, then you need to know that this is probably going to happen, you know? And so you need to figure out a different way how to differentiate yourself and how to make sure that you can succeed. And, and many people still do, you know? And, 
And as you mentioned, you, you asked about the quality of the, of the manufacturing. Again, like I am not a manufacturing expert. I have never done uh, any manufacturing myself. But, but yes, you know, there are companies, there are factories that are very good in China. And of course, there are factories that are just focusing on being fast and, and doing some rip-offs and, and selling it for one third of the price on Alibaba. And, and yeah, that's kind of short term, right? Like, like yeah, it, it will work. There will always be a customer for that kind of product especially in China when uh, when people cannot really afford having iPhone, the newest iPhone all the time, like all of the people in China cannot do that definitely. So, so yes, these, these factories will live, you know, they will make some money, they will be able to survive. But, but in, terms of, in terms of sustainability of that business, it's very short-term uh, behavior, right? But then you have these companies that are manufacturing Apple, Huawei, and, and Xiaomi and all of these big, uh, big brands. And, and like, yes, they can, like iPhone is made here, right? So what you have in your hand or what I have in my hand right now, it's made in China. So you can see how high quality the manufacturing can be. You just need to find the right people, the right factories, and you need to be willing to pay the price for that because, of course, it's not going to be the cheapest anymore. Yeah, and it's been fascinating listening to your your journey and you, you know how you got to China. I'm curious about what comes next in the future. I know I mean you're 26 years old now, studying. Yeah, you know a lot's going to change in the next few years. I want I'll put you on the spot. It's a little bit unfair, but I want to ask the question because <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are, are very curious to, to know as well. So you're 26 by the age of 30. So four years, three three or four years time. Do you see yourself as being in China? I know a lot, a lot can happen, so it's not like you're yeah. committing to this and not asking yeah. you to yeah. nail your colors to the mask, but 30 years old in China, what do you think? No, absolutely. You know, as you mentioned, like you, you never know, right? And especially in China, you never know because things can change and sometimes some things you cannot even control. Uh, so, so you never know what's going to happen. So you need to keep that in mind that, uh, that you might not be here in two years or you can be here for 10 years, who knows? Uh, but uh but basically, yeah, I'm very excited about China. I'm very excited about Asia in general. And, uh, you know, thanks to what I do right now that I'm running Startup Run in China and APEC, I can meet people from all around Asia, not only China. And, and I'm just fascinated by the potential that is there, uh, you know, not, uh, not only in this big, uh, big country like China, but also, you know, you can look into Southeast Asia and, of course, another huge country, India. I'm just fascinated by that. So, so I definitely long term, when it comes to long term, not even 30 years old, but like probably, probably forever, uh, I, I want to have this angle that I want to understand Asia. I want to I want to build uh, relationships in Asia. I really, really want to be that guy that uh, will probably leverage it in certain way, either uh, building my my business that is going to be related, uh, you know, uh, to Asia or I'm going to help somebody to bridge uh, Asia and uh, Asia part of the business with the with the Western part of the business. Who knows? But definitely, I see myself in China, maybe in two, three years. I don't know, 30. But uh, in Asia, for sure, long term, long term. Fantastic. Well, we wish you all the best with that journey. And you're in a great position to do that. You have the master plan, maybe, this time. And it looks like you, <laughs> you know, you're in a unique position to be able to you know, help people get a better understanding of that market, not just by being positioned there, but by committing to it as well and being part of the local culture and the local startup scene. So it's fantastic that you came on and shared that with us today. Jan, where can people find out more about you and your journey? So uh, I rebranded myself online a couple of weeks ago because I, I got a lot of uh, 
you know, a lot of people, a lot of people came to me and said, yeah, you know, you're in China, you're doing these cool things, you know, so, so like you are my China guy, right? Like, and stuff like that. Like many people came to me like that. And so I basically decided, okay, so when people say that, then it's probably time to, to, uh, to, uh, to brand myself like that. And so I, it's very easy to find me. I am everywhere as your China guy. So if you go to Twitter, if you go to Instagram or Facebook or all the other social media that are out there, you will find me there as your China guy. And, uh, also you can shoot me an email if people want to get in touch and if they have some questions, some reasonable questions about what's going on here and how they can, how they can come or what they should do when they come. Uh, they can shoot me an email to a, uh, J-A-N at startupgrind.com, Jan at startupgrind.com. And, uh, you know, I usually reply to everybody if, uh, if the, if the message or the request is reasonable. So, uh, so yeah, you know, people can find me online or email or just stop by, you know, come to Shenzhen, uh, join one of our events that we host every single month and, and learn something about this exciting place. Excellent. That's Jan, yourstartupguy.com. Hey, you know what? He's just at the beginning of that. So, I mean, as you said, it's only a couple of weeks into that. So that looks very interesting as a project in a great position to help people out, get a better understanding of the Chinese market. Jan, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing us with us today. Well, thank you for having me. And if there is anything I can do in the future when it comes to China, please do reach out. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.